Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra. We pay our respects to Elders from all nations here today and to their Elders past, present and future. You're listening to a Yarra Libraries podcast. Today we're pleased to bring you a talk with life coach, author and wellness consultant Tammy Kirkness, recorded over Zoom in September of this year. I had the pleasure of talking to Tammy about her beautiful and very practical new book, The Panic Button Book, a step-by-step guide to neutralise worry, overthinking and anxiety. We had the chance to talk about a range of anxiety-inducing scenarios, including examples from the audience, such as job interviews, socialising, talking about oneself, procrastinating and so on, all of which Tammy responded to with her trademark warmth and excellent advice. So there are some really good techniques in the book that I felt were quite spot on. And I was just wondering about your specific experience in psychology or counselling. Like, so what's your experience in relation to mental health? The biggest experience is experiencing it myself without a doubt. Uh, But my background is I studied down in Melbourne. I studied at Monash there for for all the Melburnians watching. Hello. And oh my gosh, I hope you're coping. At the Caulfield campus, for everyone who knows where that is, I studied a combination of psychology and management and marketing, and I relished that interesting interplay by why people do what they do and what prompts them to do that. I also worked as a clinician over in the UK with adults and kids with learning difficulties there. I'm a trained yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and I run a life coaching company out of Sydney of which I can see some of my very fabulous clients watching. So hey, Jez, Louisa and Shane, it's lovely to have you on. (laughs) Tammy, I noticed that there was mention of studying with some monks and I'm wondering, (laughs) did that feed into the book in any way? And how does that relate to anxiety? Do you think what you, what you studied with the monks? Yes. So at one point, uh, along the way, my hippy-dippy soul, it, it bubbled up to the soul and it said, mm, tell me, mm-hmm, you know what you need to do? You need to go to the south of India, find a whole bunch of monks and become a yoga teacher. So I did my yoga teacher training uh, in an ashram, studying with monks there. And one great thing that they taught me is I thought I was patient and it turns out I wasn't as patient as I thought. But how that wraps its way into anxiety is being able to continuously bring our attention back into the moment. Because one thing that I, it really helps me get my head around how anxiety works as well, is if you think about uh, an infinity symbol that looks like this, over on the right-hand side, you've got the future, where it crosses in the middle is the present, and over on the left-hand side is the past. And what can happen if we're not being mindful is we can get stuck looping around that past part, or we can get stuck looping around that future part, and that's where anxiety really breeds, where we get trapped in the one day I'm going to and what happens if this occurs and so by learning with those monks in India I really learned this concept and I'm 
still absolutely learning, oh my goodness, let me tell you, is to consistently pull our attention back from the present and say, well, what can I do about that right now? And to the present from the past of, oh, that thing happened, what can I do about that right now? Beautiful. Thank you, Tammy. So I wanted to ask, do you think anxiety is getting worse in our society? And if so, why? Well, in Australia, for a stat to help people get their head around it is there is roughly one in four that will experience clinically based anxiety in their life. So if we break that down gender wise, that's one in three women and one in five men. So this has been a stat that's been actually fairly stable for quite a long time now. But what we're finding ourselves at the moment with COVID-19 is there is a situation that is very stressful. And so that basically can prompt situational-based anxiety. And so as a result of the fact that COVID-19 is affecting and touching every single person's lives, absolutely anxiety, depression, mental health challenges are going to be on the rise as a result of that. But at some point when we do come out of this and we will come out of this, I would guess that that's going to balance out over a period of time and go back to those levels that we saw it before. So this might be a bit of a um, personal question, but I often get anxious late at night before bed. You know, when you're, you're lying asleep and you're going over all the things that you ever said that were ever embarrassing um, or, you know, things come up and it's that real, that sense of loneliness as well when it's just before sleep and there's no one to talk to. What advice and tips would you give to someone that has that real clenching anxiety late at night when there's no one to talk to and they're just they're trying to get to sleep? Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that that's something that's quite common as well and one of the reasons it's so common is that it's the same when people often sit down to meditate it's one of the first times during their day or their week or their year where they've actually taken a breather and slowed down and when we do that we basically open up the cupboards and it's like everything can almost fall on top of us if we haven't been dealing with it throughout the day so one of their techniques, actually this one, one isn't in the book, so bonus, uh, <laughs> is for people who are struggling with that nighttime-based stomach clenching, jaw tightening, shoulders up around their ears kind of nighttime dry mouth anxiety, is to get out a pen and paper and literally set a timer for 10 minutes. So whether they just look at the clock and say, oh, it's, it's 9 p.m. Okay, I've got till 9.10. And what I would suggest you do is start the list by saying, these are the things that I'm worried about. And you're literally creating your worry list. And so I'm so worried about, and you just don't hold back. So everything that is spinning around that beautiful brain of yours, you're going to put down. So uh, everything from I'm so worried that I may have forgotten to lock my car outside. I'm so worried that I said that thing to my boss yesterday and it may have been a bit dumb. I'm so worried that I haven't bought a birthday present for my mother-in-law. 
I'm so worried. And you just bang it all out. And as soon as you get to the end of 10 minutes, that's it. You have used up your worrying time for the day. And then you put that list away. For people who are still struggling, you can kind of add on the bonus. We don't all need to do this, but if you feel like, oh, but then what do I do with the list? Uh, is you can draw a second column and write down what you're going to do about it the next day. So it might be, forget it. Mm. <laughs> it might be, go to the shops and buy my mother-in-law a present. It might be, uh, go to the go to the window and press the button to make sure that my car is locked. So uh, that's what I would be doing personally and what I've taught a lot of people to be doing as well. Yeah, beautiful. So there's is a bit of, in the book, there's talks of lists. And um, so you mentioned making lists, but then you also mentioned things like uh, marking something off your list. Do you mean just letting it go, like not necessarily doing it? So if you've got a big to-do list, you think sometimes it's important to just let one thing go. Is that right? I know I... that seem crazy. <laughs> but yes, yes. Often when we create a big honking to-do list, we can put so many things on that we actually don't need them. And if we can actually take a moment to sit down and look and say, well, is every single thing on here vital to be doing? Most of the time there's going to be a no. So you can cross one off or delegate it to mm. someone else, which is nice. But I think, it's, I think it's worth noting that for some people, list making can contribute to their anxiety. And remembering that you've got to try these things and if it works for you, do it again. And if yep. it doesn't work for you, you scrap that. You go yeah. to the next technique. Yeah. I find that when I'm overwhelmed, making a list helps to calm me when I know exactly what I've got to do. But then, yeah, sometimes I've got things on my list. I'm like, I don't need that on there. Like, what about you? So I was talking to my colleague today um, and she wasn't able to make it tonight. And I was like, well, what would you ask? And so she said, she was like, often we don't know what we're anxious about. So the book is fantastic in that it's got scenarios, right? Um, and she's like, so often I get anxious and I don't actually know why. I can't pinpoint the reason why. Like, yeah, it's just this feel, general feeling of unease and worry and how, how can you try and pull yourself out of that type of anxiety when you really don't know what it is? You don't know whether it's work or whether it's home or not feeling good enough or, not, you know, like... Have you got any advice for people? Oh, for sure. And I think the vast majority of people would be in that category. They just feel a little bit off in some way or their tummy feels tight or they can't stop thinking or their heart's going a little bit faster than normal and they can't quite put their finger on it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote this book. So it might be worth explaining. So this is the pretty book. Oh, my gosh, I'm in love with the cover. It's gorgeous. Oh, a hole in it. Oh. So um, each of the pages on the left-hand side, there is a, a question, and then you're going to answer yes or no on the right-hand side. So it's been designed for people exactly in the situation of your colleague who are feeling a bit off in some way, worried, overthinking, and they're not entirely quite sure why. So. 
essentially what you do is you just keep turning the page until you get a yes. So are your muscles feeling tense? No. You know, turn the page. Are you feeling easily startled? Oh, yes. Okay, and then you're going to follow those, those directions. If people feel like, actually, I've got an inkling it's about uh, my relationship at the moment, they can flick to that particular section. But for the vast majority of us, this is why I was very vigilant in putting this exact line in here. Don't know where to start? Question mark. Start right here and turn the page because it's such a common thing, exactly what your colleagues said. There are a lot of visualisations in the book and why do you think visualising is so important? Visualising is a little bit different to each person. However, when we can see a scene where things are working well or they're calming down or we are doing okay in that scene, it sends a message through our nervous system that we can calm down. And when we can visualise, let's say, uh, in one of the scenarios in the book in the uh, social anxiety component, if we can visualise that actually we've gotten up on that stage we've made that maid of honour speech or that best man speech and it's actually gone okay, it sends a message to our nervous system that we can breathe a little easier and it gives us an anchor on which we can hold ourselves to and move towards as a little bit of a beacon of hope, if that makes sense. Mm. There are lots of different visualisations in there, but by being able to focus on something can also be a calmer as well. So visualising yourself doing well in a situation that makes you nervous. So if you're going to a party and you're going to be talking to people you don't know and you're nervous about that, visualising it beforehand and doing well at it and having easy conversations, that will help on the night or in the it moment. Can you, <laughs> it can help you walk in the room with a little bit more confidence. But specifically with that, if you're feeling a bit socially uncomfortable about walking into a room of people you don't need, having one or two opening questions that you can have ready to go or topics that you can ask somebody about can make you feel a lot more comfortable. So an example might be, uh, let's say there's a, a recent Netflix movie that's come out, you might say, oh, have you seen such and such a Netflix movie? Uh, and then they'll say no and you go, ah, oh, okay, great. What's the last movie you saw? And having yeah, one or yeah. two of those up your sleeve can really help. Totally. And I think, like, people always want to talk about themselves as well, right? So if you ask mm -hmm. questions, if, you've got, if, you're, if you show curiosity about someone and ask questions, you'll always have something to talk about with people, I think. It, it definitely helps to have some up their sleeve because it, it can be really nerve-wracking walking into a room, feeling a little bit self-conscious and everybody else feels like they're so confident and mm. bright-eyed and they're wearing the right clothes and you might not feel like that for some way. So if you've got a couple of those up your sleeve, it can definitely help. And I'd be really interested to hear from people here tonight what, what makes you the most anxious because I think that would be really interesting. If you want to post in the chat, um, the, the scenarios that make you the most anxious, then maybe we can kind of go over a couple of those with Tammy. 
so we, you and I, Tammy, on the phone, we talked about how like small things can, can kind of shock you sometimes. Like, and we can have these like mini trauma. I think you described them as mini traumas. Um, and I think I used the example that, you know, I turned 40 and I had a, a, one of my best friends couldn't come to my Zoom 40th. And, um, and I was like, why did that feel so, that, you know, like she had a great, you know, reason not to, not to come, but there was like this feeling of like, oh, you get this kind of shock. And, you know, small things, can, we can kind of get off balance by small things, small wounds, that like we can be wounded by these small things in life. Um, and you had quite a good explanation. So I'd like you to share that with the group. Yeah, and I think everybody's experienced this at some time. You know, they thought things were going to go a certain way and then they're surprised by the answer or surprised by the outcome in some way. And shock is one of the components of trauma. And I don't want to use trauma in in the big, most scary way that it usually has the connotations, but it leaves a lasting impression with us in some way. And you know, having a friend, you know, a best friend not show up can can give you exactly like you said, that small wounding and it can stick with you for a long time and it's really easy then, particularly for people who have a bit of an anxiety-based bent to them, to have that cycle through our minds over and over and over again. Um, there's lots of things we can do, but one of my absolute favourite things, it's not the most traditional, I must say, but I think it's why it's one of my most favourite, is to literally be a bit like Taylor Swift and we're going to shake it off. And if you think about a, a, the Serengeti in Africa and a gazelle all of a sudden, and I'm borrowing this analogy from from another person, but if there's a gazelle that almost gets eaten by a tiger or by a lion, I should say, but they have the near miss. They didn't see it coming. There was a bit of shock to it. And then they don't go over to their other friend and go, oh, my gosh, you'll never guess what happened. You know, the gazelle's not having a real, real chat. And we're not always in the situation to be able to have a debrief with a friend or a therapist or a coach or whoever. And so when we're in those scenarios, what does a gazelle do? They literally shake it off. You know, you see it on all the David Attenborough documentaries. They're in the middle of the Serengeti and they're shaking it all off. And so how do we do that as a, as a human? Is we literally go through the major body parts and we can shake out our right leg, shake out our left leg, shake out our hips, right arm, left arm, head, keeping, keeping <laughs> making sure that we're protecting our neck, shaking out our fingers and our hands. And it's like we can shake off the shock of that scenario, mm. like we can shake off all of the emotions that have bubbled up to the surface and those emotions are going to be different for everybody. And then I tell you what, it takes about a minute, minute and a half to do and you just feel so much better. And for all of the parents watching this evening or listening later on, this is such a brilliant one to be doing with kids as well because sometimes you say to the, your, your kid or your nephew or your student, you know, 
what's going on? They say, I feel bad. And they don't have the vocabulary to be able to articulate more than that. But tell you what, if you say, shake out your right leg, shake out all that bad feeling, shake out the left leg, and you go through and you do it together, you're going to feel 10 times better. And we're exactly the same as adults and as animals as well. Beautiful. I love that. I'm going to try that. Um, <laughs> shaking it off. I love it. This was another person, personal one, and then we'll get to the, um, to the group scenarios. I love caffeine. I don't drink coffee because I get too anxious with coffee. Um, but I love caffeine. I need it to wake me up in the morning. I really struggle if I'm tired. I've got three kids. But sometimes I find it does make me anxious. Like I, it's, and it's like I'm kind of tossing. It's like I am bone tired. And I want to be woken up. I need the energy from the caffeine, but then I'm, I get concerned. I get a bit anxious from the caffeine, from the, from the stimulant. Um, I think you do have a scenario in the book about when you feel bone tired, like just bone tired, what to do. And I was, yeah, to say, is there, do you have a tip that doesn't involve stimulants um, for when people are ex, ex, just exhausted and what can we do to wake ourselves up if we, if we tend towards anxiety, are there different things we can do instead of drinking our coffees and our teas? And Yeah, and I think it's worth saying that uh, coffee and tea and chocolate are also okay. <laughs> uh, however, sometimes and for certainly some of us, they're not that great. I am the same with caffeine. It doesn't do great things for my system at all. But for other people... It seems to do great things and I'm quite envious sometimes. Uh, when we are bone achingly tired, it's by being able to pause and take a really, a really momentous moment to take some big deep breaths in and put our hands over our heart and say, what is it that you need right now? and hear the whisper back and then do something based on what your body and your heart has just told you is really important. So really getting back in touch with your body and your mind and your heart is really important in that scenario. Um, other things that we can do as well uh, for parents of three kids, particularly young kids, they don't have a huge amount of time to be able to dedicate to going and meditating for 20 minutes or all of those sorts of things. Uh, but yes, being quite conscious of the things that are stimulants for you, which is different for everybody, and for things that activate anxiety in you. So I am a big proponent of living a, a lower toxic life, so a low tox life, uh, because I'm very aware of the fact that things like uh, nasty chemicals in shampoos and conditioners and household cleaning products are the equivalent of a stimulant for me as mm. too much caffeine is for you. So being able to identify what those things are and turn down the volume with those so they're only occasional visitors to your home and to your body uh, can be very helpful in those scenarios as well for the longer term. So from Ryan, self-conscious self -conscious about saying what is on my mind, but it comes out wrong because people stare at you or there is an awkward silence. Absolutely. I reckon I've got anxiety about this too, um, especially when it's a group for me. 
And then Jeremy's also said, interviews make me nervous. Trudy has said, being the centre of attention or talking about myself makes me anxious. I feel like they're all three kind of similar things. Yeah. Um, and same. <laughs> I feel the same about a lot of those things. I mean, the nature of my work is that I, I'm often speaking on stages and and to big groups and that sort of thing. And so a lot of people often assume that I'm super duper extroverted. And the irony is, is that I'm actually pretty introverted and that I have to manage exactly those things that Trudy and Ryan um, mentioned in particular. So um, one of the main things that I do in most of those scenarios and recommend to clients and in the book as well, uh, is to really acknowledge the emotions that are coming up. So acknowledge first what the scenario is that is currently happening, then what the emotions are that are being sort of pushed up to the surface, and then what you're going to refocus on. Uh, so for that example that Louisa shared about interviews uh, making her a little nervous, uh, the thing that I'd be doing is using that same framework of saying, okay, this is what's happening. I'm about to walk into an interview and a lot is riding on the outcome of this. The emotions that are associated for that for me right now are feeling anxious, worried, hopeful, nervous, excitable. But I'm willing to put all of that to the side so I can focus on getting out those beautiful examples that I prepped last night. Big, deep breath in, big, deep breath out, and then walking in. So it's a little bit of self-talk and a lot of acknowledging of what are the emotions that are happening and occurring for me right now so I can acknowledge them and let them move on because a great deal of what happens for us in, in those three scenarios as well is that we're not acknowledging how we're actually feeling in the moment and then it just grows and grows and grows. And I think a lot of people on, on this evening will agree that the minute they say, oh, I'm feeling really uptight or I'm feeling really anxious, it takes some of the sting out of that feeling instantly. So acknowledging what you feel, naming it. So that I've, I've read stuff about that, that with children, it's really important for them to be able to name their emotions. So is that what you mean? So when you say I'm scared, when you're super nervous before an interview or, you, you know, if you name it, you say I'm scared, I'm scared I'm going to mess up. And if you can acknowledge what you're feeling, that puts some space between, is that what you're saying kind of thing? Like, Yeah, exactly that. So saying I'm feeling worried as all get up right now or I feel really attached to the outcome of this or I'm freaking out or I'm anxious but I'm going to acknowledge that and so I can focus on walking into that room with a smile on my face or I can focus on putting my shoulders back and finding the one person in the room that I'm going to chat to straight away. So acknowledge and then refocus on something that is tangible and helpful for you in that moment. That you can do. I remember I was going for one interview and I'm, I'm the same, Louise. Was it Louise? Uh, yeah, interviews freaked me out, Louise, sorry. Um, and I remember I was going to one interview and my husband 
just said something. He just said something tiny. He was like, they'll be, Nell, they'd be lucky to have you. And I remember that just that small, you got that small changing of the way that, you, you know, the, the way I was kind of approaching it, like approaching it like I've got something to offer and I'm now able to kind of show off what I've got to offer as opposed to this is a test that I have to pass. You know, I think it was just changing the mindset a little bit and just, yeah, it made, it made all the difference to the way I felt going in just to think, yeah, uh, yeah, they would be like, yeah, you know, it wasn't Yarra, by the way, any Yarra people here. <laughs> Time ago, but um, yeah, oh, that was what I did. What I while I remember, so you talked about meditation quickly. So, I was talking to a friend with a young baby recently, and she was saying, So, she's up all night, um, with the baby, and she's very tired. But she said that if she does manage to do some meditation during the day, whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes, it really helps to manage the tiredness. Does is that oh, it gives absolutely. you there's this amazing uh, Zen saying that says, uh, if you don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes during the day, meditate for 60. Which I love this concept that if you can't find the space to pause even for a moment, you need it even more. So the, the more modern version of that is if you don't have time to meditate for 30 seconds, meditate for two minutes. <laughs> yes. uh, and I think to that comment of, you know, she's got it. She's got a young baby. She's doing her best during the day. One of the things that comes up all of the time, particularly for the new mums that I work with, is they're so sleep deprived. And when we're when we're sleep deprived, we often end up making some wobbly decisions. And if we're already a little bit anxious, the volume gets turned up on that as well. And one of the things that I uh, referred to in the book is that if sleep has been a challenge for you and you're just not getting enough and it's so frustrating and you're tearing your hair out, is that you want to consider it like a sleep bank. So even if you put a deposit in that bank that's five cents, you have still deposited something into that bank and you still want it still gives you the opportunity to feel proud that something has gone in. You might have wanted to deposit $20 that night, but you got five cents in and that's going to have to be enough for that night. And changing that mindset around, but I got something and I still put it in the bank can, again, help in the morning when you're feeling a bit annoyed and tired and frustrated. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Tammy. That's, I, I should have done that today, actually, when I was having my bone-tired moment. Um, oh, I actually... I would like to address this from Trudy. Being a centre of attention or talking about myself makes me anxious. Um, I think a lot of people would agree with that as well. Even when in a social situation, I often deflect. I ask questions because for some reason I want to be asking the questions, not, not talking so much about myself. And what is, yeah, what's that about? And why does it make us anxious to talk about ourselves? Is it to do with sounding dumb? Like, um, Someone said, you know, like talking, you, there might be an awkward silence or you're trying to say something that comes out wrong. Um, why do we, why does being this tender of attention make a lot of us so anxious, do you think? And what can we do? I think the easy answer is because people are looking at us and when people look at us, we feel very vulnerable. You know, are they judging me in some way? What do they like? What do they don't like? And then... 
I'm going to spend all my time cataloging all those things that they don't like and now I feel awful, <laughs> basically. Um, it, it's, it's very common to feel that way. Uh, one thing that I've been talking about a lot recently is to build up the confidence in that space of, of being okay to be visible and being okay to be seen it is a little bit of a mindset one, but one thing that we can do is something referred to as a reverse bucket list, where, which is where you spend some time, you make yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or whatever it is, and you have some time to yourself and you write down all of the things that you've already completed that you are proud of in your life in some way. So that might be that you became a parent or that you finished high school or that you joined a Toastmasters club or that you went for a 10-minute walk today, you know, whatever it is. You write all of these things in a list and then just before those moments where you know you're going to be the centre of attention, you can, you can take out that list and you have that lovely moment where you go, ah, I tell you what, if I can be the first person in my family to to go to TAFE or to go to university, I think I can give this a crack tonight. So it's almost that mental and social proof that if I can do A, I can give B a really good crack. And that can help if you've got a little bit of extra time up your hand. But mm. up, yeah. Yeah, almost having like a list in your mind of the reasons that you're, or you're a good person because of this, this and this, something that you can draw on in those moments of panic. So someone has said, Ryan has said that my partner gets anxious when he has no control of the situation. And Irene thought something similar. When someone you have no control over can cause heartache, anxiety, anger, and emotional distress. So getting anxious when you have no control over the situation. That's the crux of anxiety, feeling out of control. They've both hit the nail on the head. Um, there is... There is a page on that in the book that literally says on the left-hand side, are you worrying about something that's outside of your control? And then on the right-hand side, in this case, we're going to say yes, it says get out a pen and paper. In two bullet point lists, write down what you can and can't control in this situation. For the list of what you can't control, visualise putting that into a long vacuum tube that sucks it up and deposits everything directly into the sky and out of your hands. Oh. So the list of what you can control, do one tiny thing that boosts it. And then the last one is discard the piece of paper. So being able to discern what is in your control and what you can do, taking some kind of action around that, and what you actually can't control is really valuable in these sort of scenarios for the, the visualization for this one whenever I need to do this my here's a little fun fact for everybody watching my first ever job was as a checkout chick at Coles and back when I worked at Coles uh, I don't know if they've still got them but they used to have these tubes literally that if you had too much money left over in your till you'd have to cash out so you'd take it out about $500, which to me as a 16-year-old felt like 
the most amount of money on that could possibly be held by the universe. So you take out your $500 and you put it into a plastic container. You put it in this tube and then you press the button and it literally goes up into the sky and somebody else sorts it out. And you go, oh, my gosh, I don't have to worry about my till being so full. And it's that exact same thing. When there's too much in our minds to contain, we need to take it all out, put it in that plastic tube and then press the button and watch it just go up to the sky for somebody else to deal with because you can't handle that, you can't control that bit anyway, so why hold on to it anyway? So hopefully that helps. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I love that idea. Um, just like just letting it go, get, let, yeah, giving it to the ether because it's not something that you can do anything about. So there's no, there's what no point worrying about it. I often say to my husband because it was in a book that I read, uh, Eckhart Tolle. You know Eckhart Tolle. Um, I read The Power of Now, which is an amazing book. But um, and in the in The Power of Now, he talks about holding no resistance to what is. And that I found quite profound because I think all of us go through life kind of tensing about tensing against reality. You know, there's something that we don't like or there's things that we're worried about. And when you actually just hold no resistance to, to reality, to what's going on, um, it's incredibly freeing. Like it's a very freeing sensation. And I love that idea of like just putting the things that you can't control in a tube and just like, yeah, sending it to the sky because there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, yeah. I, it, the visual helps me all the time. And for those who are struggling with the nighttime falling asleep and a billion thoughts going through their heads, that can be a nice visual if anybody needs it as well. Just anything pops into their mind also goes into the cash tube up to the side so you don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, Fliss, I think Fliss's advice there is good. I always tell my children everything is so much worse at night. Always say to yourself you will think about it in the morning and then address this problem. Um, and also to call me at night and talk through it if they need, which is so nice. Uh, and that's true. Like it always never feels as bad when you wake up and the sun's shining through your windows. You never feel, ever feel as bad about the situation, ever. Margie has said different things cause varying levels at different times. This can catch me by surprise. As something that was fine yesterday will be so stressful today. So true. So true. Like sometimes you'll be totally fine at something. It won't cause you any anxiety at all. And then something switches and the next day, you know, you're losing your mind over something. Why does that happen? Like why do we, you know, it fluctuates so much. Do you have any advice for that, for Margie? Oh, yeah. And me too, Margie. <laughs> Yesterday I was cool as a cucumber and then the same thing that happened yesterday or the same email I read yesterday can just really throw a spanner in the works. So, yeah, I hear you. Uh, if, you think about, if you think about a shower with a bucket on it, so the, the shower is filling up with water, that bucket is filling up with water and there you are underneath the shower. You're not getting a drop wet at all because everything's being contained. Everything's fine. Everything's manageable. You're feeling fine. And then all of a sudden, one final drop goes in and the whole bucket overflows. And there you are drowning because of what seemingly feels like one comment that would have been okay yesterday has just doused you in uh, worry and overanalysis and all of these sorts of things. So if, if that's the case, we really want to be look at what 
looking at what's going on globally in our own lives. So uh, what are the reasons that you might be feeling more sensitive today or this week as opposed to last week or last month? You know, what's happening with our resilience that is pushing our buttons and potentially getting in the way of being able to bounce back quite as easily. If you can't find something, that's where we want to add in those wellness-based activities of uh, deep breathing or meditation or uh, having the conversations that you've been putting off for some reason because they've been lurking in the back of your mind. Being able to address those things and do them can help that resilience. But generally, you're going to be pretty aware of, oh, well, I've got an extra workload right now or I've just recently found out that something's happened in my family or I've lost my job and it's finally hit home. Generally, there's going to be something broader going on than just that that thing that's tipped you over the edge. Um, beautiful. Thank you, Tammy. Uh, okay, so we've got 10 more minutes. So let's have a look. Okay, starting a project, project such as a sewing project or a work assignment, the anxiety of doing the wrong thing stops me from doing it. A hundred percent. I read about this recently. They said procrastinate people that procrastinate a lot are really scared about failure and they put too much emphasis on their worth as being um, attached to getting a good mark or something. So if you, does that make sense to me? Do you think that that's, so we apparently we procrastinate because we, um, we put too much emphasis on our success in terms of our worthiness as a human being. Yes, and from one recovering perfectionist to another, Bronwyn, I see you. <laughs> you know, when, when you feel like, you know, even doing an adult colouring in book or, or doing, you know, your lovely sewing project, something that's meant to be fun all of a sudden feels like you are washed with sweat and anxiety because you want to get it just right. You don't want to colour outside the lines or you don't want to miss a stitch when you're sewing. Um, by being able to recognise that that is a real element of perfectionism, it's really important. And perfectionism is one of the, the major parts of anxiety. And to your point, Nell, is there is a, a very closely interwoven link between procrastination and perfectionism. And that is that a lot of people look at procrastinators and say, oh, look how lazy they are, or people beat themselves up and say, gosh, they're so lazy. But actually what is occurring in most, most cases is that there is a great underlying swell of perfectionism that is there where this is what happens in the mind. They'll say, very much subconsciously, by the way, they'll say, if I leave it to the last minute and then I do a dodgy job or I get a bad mark or I don't get that promotion, there's nothing wrong with me. It's because I left it to the last minute and I can blame it on the time expanse that I used as opposed to the quality of my work or the value of me. And that can be a very confronting thing for people to realise that may be occurring for them. Uh, so if you're a procrastinator and you hear that, please take heed that 
there is almost certainty that you are not lazy, that there is something else going on. And the more that we can learn to accept ourselves exactly as we are, you know, flaws and all, you know, maybe messy hair or a stuffed up sewing project or you never started the sewing project or whatever it is and remembering that exactly as you are with all of your quirks and foibles and weird bits, you're great, you're valuable, you're worthy exactly as you are can help with procrastination and can help with perfectionism. And if we sort of sum all of that together with a nice beautiful bow of and I forgive myself for all of the times up until now that I haven't started my projects because I was procrastinating or because I wanted them to be perfect. It can be one of the best ways to shortcut and eradicate procrastination from your future and from your upcoming weeks and months and years. Um, and Penny has said, I believe social media has a lot to answer for because very sadly, a lot of younger people think it's an example of the way they should be. And I think that's a powerful reason for more anxiety today. But yeah. What do you think about that, Tammy? Say that question again for me. Well, she was just saying that she thinks that uh, social media has a lot to answer for because younger people think it's an example of the way that we should be. So this sort of speaks to that concept of comparison now there is a there is a page in the book about that so you can read some more about that but we can have a look at something called the social comparison theory uh, which came about from the world of psychology in the 1950s and comparison sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap so I'm gonna stand up for just a little smidgen for a moment because comparison isn't all bad. It can make us feel hideous. And when we get on our Instagram and go, oh my gosh, look how skinny slash successful slash loved up slash family laden slash whatever they are, it can feel really ick. So I want to acknowledge that yes, comparison can feel awful, heavy, gross, and uncomfortable all at once. However, there are two kinds of comparisons. So on one side, we have what's referred to as upward social comparison, and then we have downward social comparison. So upward social comparison is when we look at somebody who has more than us and we feel yucky. So if we look at somebody and we think, gosh, they live in a mansion by the ocean, ugh, and we feel gross. The twist that we can do on that is we can look for the similarities between ourselves and that person. And so we can say, well, actually, that person is also a female and we grew up in a similar part of Australia, let's say. Uh, if she can do it, so can I. And we can use that benefit from upward social comparison. Now, if we look at the other side, which is downward social comparison, where we have more than someone else, so maybe we have, we're more financially abundant than somebody else we know, it can be easy to become a little ego-based in that moment and go, ho, 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 how great am I? I'm the best. Whereas, again, we want to twist that a little and use it to count our blessings and feel really grateful and say, you know, they have less than me in, in some way, 
I am really grateful that I can pay my bills. That is, that's amazing. I'm really grateful that I can afford to put petrol in my car. I'm really grateful that I can go to the shops and buy whatever brand I want in the supermarket. And pulling it back to that gratitude-based space can really help in the downward social comparison. So, yes, we can feel ego-fueled or we can feel icky, but if we give them both a slight twist, it can help uh, it can help our self-worth and how we interact with the world around us and with those around us as well. I love that, um, Tammy. I love that whole, um, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. Because I think sometimes we get, with comparison, other people's successes can feel like a little mini wound, like, um, mm-hmm. oh, my God, she what? She was already rich and then now she's a famous artist on top of it or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, actually, no, she became a famous artist at 45 years old. Like, who cares what she already had? She has done something. It's never too late, you know, like, and just looking at other people's successes, not as something that you're in competition with, but something like, yeah, I can achieve that too. Um, And being inspired by it as opposed to being threatened by it. Because, I mean, it can be hard um, watching other people. Yeah, you know, it's hard for all of us. But I love that take on it. And I think also, like, with gratitude, I mean, yeah, just being grateful for the tiny things is so important. And if you're able to go out and buy yourself something, even for me, I remember being a student and not being able to afford stuff from the chemist, like razors and stuff. Um, you know, so I'd have, like, this bathroom and I wouldn't be able to shave my legs and, um, you know. Um, and then now, so having a fully stocked bathroom to me feels luxurious, you know. And being grateful for those kind of tiny things um, is, yeah, so important for happiness. So what does anyone else have any questions? We've got Tammy for just a little bit longer. Um, someone wanted to ask, how did you choose the gorgeous colours in your book? <laughs> they are beautiful, aren't they? I just, oh, they're so divine and in inside... They're just as beautiful. They're very calming. Uh, part of, oh, and in, in the cover is gorgeous too. Um, part of it was we wanted to make sure that they were calming-based colours. Uh, and also I definitely have to give a shout-out to the incredible uh, design team at Murdoch Books. I would love to say I'm this clever to create it, <laughs> making it look this beautiful. But there is a very big team of people that helped create this beautiful book in the format that you now uh, can know and purchase and and wrap your hands around. So I had a small amount to do with it, but really it was the gorgeous illustrators and design team. Well, we should probably let Tammy go. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Tammy. Um, It's been absolutely wonderful. And I hope we'll see you at another event soon. That was Tammy Kirkland's in conversation with me over Zoom in September of 2020. We run regular author talks both online and at the branches of Yarra Libraries. So please keep an eye out on the website. You can purchase a copy of the Panic Button book at any good bookstore near you. Yarra Libraries also has both physical copies to borrow and an e-book available through Cloud Library. Thanks for being with us today. Look after yourselves and we hope to see you at another Yarra Libraries event very soon.